Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we have Teresa Abram. She's a professional handwriting analyst, aka the handwriting PI. As a graphologist, she decodes the graphic movement we create when we put pen to paper, and she can devolve deep into someone's mind and personality. Using principles of biofeedback therapy, she can also provide people with easy, practical changes to their writing that can lead to positive changes in their lives. So this is going to be a fun episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Kaka TV Podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Teresa Sink. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So how did this all happen? How did you become interested in handwriting analysis? And what was your journey to this unique profession like? I wish I had a cool story for that cat. And I don't. It's just something that was around as I was growing up. My parents knew about it. And as I learned handwriting, they'd lean over my shoulder and they might say, oh, you know, your handwriting's going on a downhill. You're not feeling so good. Or they talk about slant and say, you know, maybe change your slant around. Um, so I, I started to learn elements of handwriting analysis at the same time as I learned handwriting. Um, so it's just something that I've always known about. It's as natural to me as saying please and thank you is to check baselines and to check a slant. As, as far as actually ending up as going professional, that was due to my kids because they found out that I did this and they were like, um, that's really cool, mom. You should really do that for people. And I thought, you know what, actually, I love doing this. And so that's when I decided I'm going to take it and become professional at it and put all those years of, of practice into use. So how do you feel about children no longer being taught cursive in schools? Is that something important to handwriting analysis? Well, there's two questions in there, Kat. So the first one is, how do I feel about cursive not being taught? And I think that's a definite shame, but not just because I think cursive is, you know, it's just a good way to write. It actually helps children with their brain development. It's hand-eye coordination. It's how do you organize your thoughts. It slows them down a little bit. Uh, people cannot handwrite as fast as you text or type. And that pause in between where you're formulating a thought and putting it onto paper is really good training for kids, teaching them to slow down, teaching them to take that extra pause, that extra moment, reflect on what they're saying, put together a whole idea. And I think in today's world, as we're so instant, that has become invaluable. As far as the second part of how does handwriting and cursive not being taught in school apply to handwriting analysis itself, we've adapted. We can still tell a lot of information about somebody from their printing. So it's not essential to have cursive writing as a sample. We can do it from printing. And what kind of basic things can you learn from someone just by their handwriting? Oh my, well, the sky's the limit here. What, uh, <laughs> it's pretty much whatever you want to learn about a person you could probably put together. We definitely can tell how somebody communicates. Are they going to be uh, expressive or are they going to be a little bit more reserved? We can tell if they're optimistic or if maybe they're a little bit more pessimistic. We can tell if somebody is sarcastic. We can tell if they anger easily. There are signs that if we see a group of them together, we're going to be able to tell maybe they're not telling us the truth about something. We can tell somebody's integrity. We can tell their energy levels. It's really, I mean, pretty much whatever you want to learn about a person, you can look at their handwriting and find out about them. Are people who write beautiful calligraphy just better people? No. <laughs> No hesitation. No, <laughs> that's not how it works. 
So with calligraphy, that's a very stylized kind of writing, and that's actually not one that we can really analyze. Now, if calligraphy writing is how they really truly write every day, that is their natural handwriting, if they went to write a journal entry and they used calligraphy, then that would tell me something about that person. And I would analyze it from that perspective. But typically, when you see beautiful calligraphy writing, it's a stylized one, and it's not their everyday writing. So, yeah. And also, if we have somebody who has what's considered textbook writing, right? So that's where it's just really pretty to look at. It looks like a textbook. That's actually a warning sign. If somebody is too perfect in their handwriting, it's a warning sign that they can be covering up something and you might want to take a second look at what are you, how are you engaging with that person? On what level do you want to get involved with them? That makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. If I saw your perfect writing, I'd be like, wait a second, do I actually want to come on this podcast? But thankfully you don't have that. So it's not a concern whatsoever. So what does having terrible, illegible handwriting say about a person? There's a big misconception, I think, about terrible and illegible. And a lot of this stems back to when we were all learning cursive in school. Our teachers wanted us to have it look like a textbook. And so anything that wasn't was considered bad. And there is a lot of handwriting shame out there right now. If... I look at handwriting and almost, I would say probably 80% of the samples I get, people say it's terrible, but it isn't. It's just unique. It's the same as your voice. It's the same as your face. It's, it's different and it's unique. It doesn't make it terrible. So for the most part, it's really not going to be terrible. Um, if it is truly terrible, it, it actually has signs of dishonesty in it. And those are going to be things where when I look at handwriting sample, if it comes to me and I see that somebody is writing on lined paper, but you know how on the left-hand margin of lined paper, you often have that red margin. And we've been taught to follow that. You, you, that's where you start your line of writing. For me, terrible writing is when I get a sample and they're starting to the left of that margin. So they write right over because that really tells me they have no regard for the rules of society. This is a real wild canon that we have going here. So terrible is, is one of those really subjective things that from the, you know, looking through the eyes of a handwriting analyst is very different from what normal people see. As far as illegibility goes, the purpose of handwriting is to communicate. That's ultimately whatever we're putting in writing, we're trying to communicate it to someone. When somebody creates it to make it illegible for somebody else to read, there's two ways, and that's where we have to look at it in context. One is they're either super secretive, they don't actually want anybody to know, they don't want you to actually clearly understand what they're saying, and that way they can backtrack. If you can't clearly read it and understand it, they can backtrack it and say, no, that's not what I meant at all. The other one is, were they in a hurry? And I think that's the big one with doctors. They're famous for their illegible handwriting. And I think that's because they're often in a hurry. Okay, that was going to be one of my questions because um, I read that if you write really quickly, that you are likely impatient and dislike wasting time. And if you take your time writing, you're more self-reliant, methodical. And I'm just wondering, so does that mean that doctors are impatient and dislike wasting time? <laughs> yes, they don't like having their time wasted. Impatient, not so much. Again, for them, there's often a lot of things that they have on their plate. So... They might have a time constraint. Um, I'm in Canada and our doctors, usually you go in and you might have a 15 minute time slot. So they need you to get to the point right away. Now, some people might say that's impatient, but at the same time, it's like they're working to a deadline and they have to get there. So it is just a matter of usually they're working under time constraints and they have to work fast. They have to process fast. And so by the time they're writing something down, it's got to be fast. 
And can you tell if someone is lying off their handwriting and what should you look for? <laughs> yeah. So that's a really complex issue. Um, there is a list of 25 handwriting traits that are warning signs for trouble. But dishonesty is a really complex issue. It's not one single trait that's going to tell you this person is dishonest. It's like a combination of traits and the right circumstances. So, I mean, as a loosey-goosey rule, you want to see at least seven of those traits in somebody's handwriting to know that they're being dishonest. Now, for a very specific lie, if they've put an actual deception in it, sometimes there's things that just pop out of, and it's so out of the ordinary, it's a total anomaly for the rest of their writing that we can tell that is where they're not being honest. And I do that actually in my podcast um, that I have. I do a spot that's called Spot the Lie, and I average about 60%. It is definitely a skill that I'm practicing still. Is there a specific handwriting trait that's typical to a narcissist or another big personality disorder? Yes. Um, and I'm really hesitant to get into those because I say yes, because if you have like narcissism, there are certain signs that are going to be there. Now, my hesitation with saying what those are is because you can still have those even if you're not a narcissist. It's just the surrounding and supporting handwriting that will clarify whether or not you're a narcissist or maybe you just have, you know, a healthy ego. So it's one of those things where it's that takes a lot of practice when you're talking about pathologies like that. You really have to know your stuff to be able to look at and say, yes, this person has a pathology such as narcissism. How can a handwriting analysis help identify a person's love language? A person's love language, those, those are the way that a person feels most loved. If somebody does something for them, there's the five different ones. There's acts of service, receiving gifts, uh, words of affirmation, quality time, and physical touch. And everybody has one specific way that they receive love the best. And each one of those love languages is built on a character trait. So for example, if you are very organized, you're very practical, you're very logical, you are going to love acts of service. If somebody else does something that helps lighten your load, you really appreciate it because you know how much time and effort it takes to actually do those acts of service. Whereas for some people who are, you know, sensitive to criticism and words are really important for them. You can do acts of service and it's not going to mean anything, but telling them that you're proud of them will mean the world. So we identify the love language by looking at the base trait that goes on below that. What about for business? Are there any ways that you can use handwriting analysis to help in, in business? Mm -hmm, absolutely. And we can even tie that into your love languages. Because we're looking at those base traits of a person, how they communicate, how they receive and accept um, appreciation, we can identify that through their love language. And then you can use that in business because if, a, if you identify it and you say somebody really likes to hear words of affirmation, giving them a gift card to Timmy's. Sorry, I'm in Canada. I don't know if you know what Timmy's is. It's just a coffee shop here. Um, <laughs> but giving them a gift card to Timmy's will not mean the same thing to them as if you tell them you did a great job on this. So it gives you a really good way of identifying how do you give somebody feedback? How do you make them feel appreciated and supported and understood? So that is one way that you can really build a stronger team through handwriting analysis as you start to understand what is it that really makes them feel appreciated. Um, Another way of looking at that is you can say, well, I'm looking at building a team. I want to hire somebody and I want to know, you know, is this person a risk taker or will they play it safe? How well do they communicate with others? Are, do they play well on a team or are they more of a solo player? 
Um, are they a time saver or a time waster? Does he start? What he finishes? Where does he need support? That's a really key one, too, that we can tell from handwriting is where does somebody start to lose steam? Do they have trouble getting started, but once they start, they take off and run with a project? Or do they lose steam at the end? They're great starters, but not great finishers. We can tell, are they clear thinkers? Are they roundabout thinkers? Um, are they honest? Is there integrity? So those are the kind of things that we can deduce. And all of that helps an employer know who is this person that I'm hiring and bringing into my business to represent us. So tell us what are some of the things that you've been hired to do handwriting analysis for? Anything weird? <laughs> um, I don't think I've hired, been hired to do anything weird. Thankfully, it's all pretty standard kind of stuff from my perspective. It is very much along the lines of either businesses looking to a hire for personality rather than a skill. I think that's the difference, right? Um, is those businesses that say we can train a skill. That's not what's necessary. We just need to know that this personality is going to jive so that we reduce our turnover costs. So that's certainly a major focus of it. The other part is on a very personal level. It's people who are doing that self-discovery. They're looking at changing something. Maybe they're unhappy with their life and they're looking for change. And handwriting analysis can be really insightful for providing somebody an opportunity to see themselves without their own blinders. Now, what I mean by that, Kat, is that if I'm talking to somebody, if you go to a therapist or you go to a doctor, you're going to be giving them the information and then they make their analysis based on what you say to them. When it comes to handwriting, you provide the sample and then I prepare the report. And so it allows me to see you through an unbiased filter. And so when I give the information back, sometimes I can see, actually, most of the time I can see this might be a struggle for you. Maybe look at it another way. Or I can look at and say, what is it from the past that's still bothering you and preventing you from moving forward? Or is it a future pressure that, you know, we're looking at? So I don't really think that those are strange or wacky, but they are super impactful. I think it's amazing that companies are finally starting to look at personality rather than just skills, which skills are so easy to train. Exactly. I agree with you. I think that is just an amazing revolution to have because it does transform an entire business and an entire team. So I know that my handwriting personally is not fixed. So what does it mean if we have vastly different handwriting styles, even on the same page? Um, <laughs> you do. Your handwriting. It is very expressive. It is very emotive. Um, and it really does tell me a lot about you. Truly, nobody ever writes the same all of the time. So everybody's handwriting is always changing. Just some people have a much larger variety than others. And that would be you. You, you definitely have a bit more of a variety going on than what some people show. But what it is, is that every experience that you've had, every thought you've thought, every memory you've made is stored in your brain. And when you write, it's not coming from your hand, it's coming from your brain. And so it's just a reflection of who you are. And when I see a lot of variability like that, it just tells me that you are you don't live life through a filter. You are who you are and you show up authentically, whatever that might mean. Well, that sounds better than I'm just a hot mess. I'll take it. <laughs> I won't say hot mess, <laughs> but your, your D's are very telling, but I think we'll get into that once we start the actual mini analysis for you. You do have a very interesting D that does raise an interesting question. That's for sure. What role does your intuition play when you do a handwriting analysis? 
Mm, I love that question. Because we often hear that people, sometimes what we say, and especially if I don't give the reason for why I'm saying something, people are just like, but how could you possibly know that? It's like, you're just, you're just spitballing it and using your intuition. And in a way I am, because to me, intuition is very different from like a psychic phenomenon. All intuition is, is something where it's knowledge that we have inside of us that we pull from. Um, a psychic phenomenon and something where you like use outside information and you pull that in. But intuition is just saying, what inside of me, what do I already know in my subconscious? And you pull it up when you need it. So in graphology and handwriting analysis, one of the first steps that you start to work on is using perception. You really have to train yourself to look at the graphic movement on the paper and, and not the words. Um, once you start recognizing graphic movement and you can start to see perception and you start to see what's normal, what's abnormal, what's striking, what isn't, what's something that's concerning and what isn't, what do the different factors mean, what does a group of characteristics mean? Once you start building up that database, that's when we start getting into the realm of intuition, because now that information is there, it's in our subconscious. And when we look at a page of writing, we can intuitively get a sense for who this person is right off of the bat. But really, it's learned information. Interesting. So it's kind of like if you've dealt with the same type of person over and over when you meet someone new, you can tell quicker that you've seen this yes. before. Exactly. And like you were talking about with a narcissist, if you've had one encounter with a narcissist, the next time you run into somebody who starts doing those same behaviors, you know it. Even if you can't put your finger on it, your spider senses start to tingle and you're like, hmm, what's going on here? So what are the tools of your trade? Are there anything, any objects, any things that you need to do a handwriting analysis? Yeah. So the tools of my trade are kind of simple and I, I love them actually, because it's like a magnifying glass, which I think I've got now seven of them. And having a computer has changed how we do handwriting analysis quite a bit because now you can scan it or it comes in already as a digital sample and you can blow it up to get all of the information that you really need because essentially we really want to take a close look at the handwriting. We want to see if there's trails of ink. We want to see if there's places where it fades out when it shouldn't fade out. We want to see connections that aren't normally visible just on just to the regular eye so really magnifying glasses and zoom it like a, a zoom feature on your computer super essential the other thing <laughs> it's still kind of old-fashioned i still love my rulers that just tells me so much information when i draw baselines underneath people's writing i can really start to get a clear picture of who that person is so what would pen pressure mean? Is it better to be softer or harder? Mm -hmm. So I, I would shy away from saying better. Um, it's, it's just the way it is. Not, no one stroke is better than another. And I think that's a real core value of mine whenever I'm looking at a handwriting sample is it's a person on the other side. And it's all about understanding and not judgment. So there is no better when it comes to pressure. It's just different. And it tells something different. Now, sometimes it can be a warning sign. If the sample is too light, if they really skim the surface and it barely touches the paper and we have a lot of, of areas where the ink doesn't actually get deposited on the paper, that can be a warning sign that somebody's tending towards suicide. But as for everything else in between, it's a matter of where do they fall? How much energy do they have? Really and truly pressure, your pen pressure, is about how much energy do you bring to life? I always wondered if writing really hard meant you're more confident. <laughs> 
And I know why you're asking that because you write hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did not think of myself, but okay. Yes, maybe. (laughs) Yes, you do. That was actually one of the first things I noticed about your writing is because you wrote on the front and then you wrote on the back. And so I actually had the back of the page and I could very clearly see the imprint of the writing from the front, which shows me that you do, you are a heavy, heavier writer. You do put pressure on your pen. Um, and now I forget what you actually asked me about that. <laughs> you were saying. So um, does that mean you're more confident? Mm. So it is a sign that you will take action. You are, um, when we look at something like that, you will take action. You're definitely not one to chill and relax. As far as confidence goes, it certainly comes across. You're going to go out and people are going to think you're confident. As to whether you really are, that's where we want to start looking at other, other signs in your writing to see, are you truly confident? I was going to say, it was, it's sort of like how we can do our hair and put on our makeup and we look one way, but when all of that comes off, we look another way. And how are we really when we're just lounging on the couch? Um, and that's kind of the same thing is like confidence. We can give that illusion of confidence with heavy pressure, but it's only once we look deeper, we'll really see is that pressure, you know, is the confidence really there? I asked this because my daughter, she's eight and she's doing her math questions and such and she'll write the wrong answer. And then I'm like struggling to erase it because she wrote it so hard. I'm like, why did you do this? Yeah, it's <laughs> so sweet. Um, so when kids are young like that, we never look at any of this sort of stuff because they're still in the stage of just even trying to figure out how do I hold the freaking pencil? So We don't want to ever, ever make any assessments about kids based on pressure or anything like that, because they're still really adapting and just trying to figure out how do we make even a graphic motion to start with. Um, That pressure, it could be a sign that she's just feeling, you know, the pressure to do this, but it's not indicative of anything deeper. Not yet. Wait till she hits her teens and then we'll start to see what it means. Okay, good, because I was very concerned because she also writes, you know, like the the red line on the left side. She'll write like, I don't know, a foot away from it. And I'm like, why are you starting (laughs) this far away? And she's like, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, you have a little rebel. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, Yeah. So at this stage, that's totally fine and normal, right? Because it's just too much. She's still at her age, she's still going to be a little bit focused on how do you put, because we learn in, in layers, right? We learn first, how do we create that letter? And then we learn, how do we put it into a word? And then we learn how to create a sentence. So if she's only eight years old, she's still learning the basics. It's not fluid. It's not unconscious. She's still having to concentrate on what she's doing. And so the fact that she's ignoring the margin doesn't really come into play because she's going to be focused on how do I actually make these letters, put them into words, and then into a sentence. Mm, Interesting. Okay, good. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Now when she turns 16 and she's still doing that, then then we should talk. Okay, good. Uh, I'll write that down. (laughs) Yes. So what does it mean? Because sometimes I do this when someone writes very, very tiny Versus when they write really, really large. Okay, so that is very distinctive. And it is one that we can look at right off the bat. And it is a standalone trait. When you write smaller, and even for your listeners, if you try this, write in your normal handwriting, and you're going to feel a certain way. Then start writing smaller. Do another one and write smaller. Do it again, write smaller still, do it again and write as teeny tiny as you can. And you're really going to notice a change in you. To write tiny, to write smaller requires a great deal of focus. When you're writing larger, you do not have to concentrate as much on those letters or the words that you're making. And so when we see larger writing, We know that that person is much more in the flow of it. They're uninhibited and they're just going. It's a a very flowy stream of consciousness kind of writing, if you will. 
when we see the smaller writing, it shows us that they're very focused. They're intent and concentrating on exactly what they're doing. And are there any unique things that you can learn about someone based solely off their signature? Let's say you're a contractor and that's all you have. Mm-hmm. You can. Now, so first off, <clears throat> sorry, first off, a signature is that public persona. It's, it's what we want the world to see us as. And our regular handwriting is really who we are. So when we look at only a signature, we know it's a public persona. When we don't have any handwriting to compare it against, the information we can draw, we know that it's limited only to what that person wants other people to see. So we can tell how does this person want to be perceived from their signature. So there's things that we can tell if it's um, illegible, Either they write it a lot, like say a doctor, or they simply do not want people to know who they are. They want to be anonymous. An interesting thing oftentimes with people who are in the spotlight and they don't use their real names, you can really tell, especially if one name is real and one name isn't, the name that is truly theirs, like if if my name if I was to go under a stage name of, say, um, Teresa Johnson, my Teresa would be clear, but my Johnson would not because I don't actually identify with that last name. I identify with my first name. So it can give us a clue as to whether or not a celebrity is using a stage name and how much they identify with it. We can also tell a little bit about people's self-confidence and how they yeah, their self-confidence, how much they show up for themselves. And I'm thinking particularly of Richard Nixon's signature. It's a really striking example how when he was president and before his impeachment, his signature was relatively clear. You knew it was Richard Nixon. As time went on and as he went through the impeachment, it actually became just like a line with an X which really showed that he was no longer wanting to be identified as Richard Nixon. He was really stepping back from this public persona of Richard Nixon and wanting to become invisible. So we can really tell somebody's progression and how much do they want the spotlight and identify with themselves and how much do they want to just take a step back and leave the spotlight to other people. Trump's signature, that's it's a famous signature. What does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my, We're, this can get really controversial with Trump's signature. <laughs> Trump's signature is is remarkable. It is famous because it is so strange. And I mean, I think anybody who sees it recognizes it as something strange because essentially he'll use a Sharpie, a black Sharpie, and it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, if you look at older ones, it's a little bit softer and he has a few more, you know, curves in there and there's a little more definition compared to what it is now. But what it shows me is that now he really is very cut and dry. It's black or white. He's going to make a decision and it could be like a total complete reversal because that's what happens when you have that sharp up and then you go sharp down. It's like a total reversal. And so he's going to do that. The fact that he uses the black Sharpie also shows that he wants the attention, but he doesn't actually really want to put a lot of effort into it. He's also willing to obliterate anybody else's because he is known to actually write over top of other stuff with his black Sharpie. So he really wants that whole center of attention, all eyes on me and what you say doesn't actually matter. So that uh, that's my wading into the whole political quagmire. <laughs> You know what? I'll actually talk about um, Justin Trudeau, who is our Prime Minister of Canada. And he has a really unique signature as well in the completely opposite way. If you look at his signature, it's legible. He writes both his first name and his last name, and you can tell it. But he also has a little caricature. If you look at it, you're going to see a guy with his nose and some glasses on it. And I think it's just so delightful because it's subtle and it shows there's intelligence. 
humor. And he was a drama teacher at one point. And I think it shows his love for the arts. Hmm. I had no idea about that. Now I have to look at it. Oh, yes, do. It's really quite a delightful signature. So are there any other cute little things that you've found hidden in signatures? Over time, there's certainly different ones that people will pick up. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head specifically. Um, I mean, there's always the classic example of Liberace, where when he did it, he actually drew a piano and a chandelier as well. And again, it comes back to that public persona. So people will put in things that they want to be known for. Um, and those are very stylized ones. Personally, on anything that I've received, I haven't seen anything like that. Not to that extreme. Uh, I've more often seen something where I'll say that this person doesn't actually believe in themselves and self-confidence is an issue. So speaking of that, have you ever had people argue with you about your results? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I absolutely have had people who will argue. Um, it's kind of funny because when I'm saying stuff, I'm going to tell you what I see. And I try to say it in a way as gentle as possible. But there are times where it doesn't fit with their perception of who they are. And so definitely, I will have people who will argue with me. And usually what happens is a week later or so, I'll get a note from them where they're saying, you know, since you brought that up, I've noticed that you're right. <laughs> um, for example, on one of my podcasts, I had a lady who really disagreed with me with what I said her love language was. And at that time, I had said it was receiving gifts and specifically the gift of presence. And she really didn't like that. And I think a lot of people don't want to admit that they have receiving gifts as a love language because they instantly go to the materialistic, which is not what it is. But she really did not like that. And about a week later, she sent me a note saying, actually, since that time, she's realized it's so much broader. It's like the gift of presence, the gift of spirit, the gift of time, and that it really does make her feel complete when somebody offers her that. And so she had, she said, you know what, after I looked at it, I realized I was just stuck on it being a materialistic gift, but really and surely when I look at it in a broader sense, that's exactly who I am. I think another one that I had is when I was um, doing an employee, um, sort of a pre-selection for a business, and the lady was saying she was very um, organized, and how did she, she was very organized and practical. And I was looking at her handwriting, and it showed somebody who was not very organized, and she would keep busy, absolutely, but not necessarily accomplishing very much. So I asked whether whether she thought of, you know, she was thinking about who she used to be rather than who she was now, and whether if now she doesn't actually feel more like a dog chasing its tail. And uh, she didn't actually argue with me, but she did pause. <laughs> and then she, she acknowledged, she said, you know what, you're right, that is who I used to be. And right now, though, I have so many different pressures and so much different, you know, different uh, obligations that I'm trying to balance that I do feel like I'm running in circles half the time. Is there any way that you can use a handwriting analysis to predict the future? So... <laughs> kind of funny. I actually have a hashtag on Instagram that says not a psychic because people think we can, that we're going to be able to predict the future. And I don't, I think part of that comes down to graphology. When it was sort of uh, in our history, if you wanted to find books in graphology before the computer and the internet, you had to go to like the occult section. And so I think it started to get this reputation of sort of being in with that, that it was some sort of psychic phenomenon and you can predict the future, but we really, we really can't. It's not really the way that it works. Um, it's what we tell from our handwriting is how you think, how you work and how you feel about yourself and others. So 
When we have that picture, because we know that past behavior is a really good predictor of future behavior, we can extrapolate to say, this is how you are likely to act in various situations because of how you are, or because of who you are right now. Um, so we can identify possible ones, but we can't predict to say, yes, absolutely, this person is going to do X, Y, Z. Well, that's disappointing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and I think a lot of people, would, that's often a question when I'm doing um, personal, I, I do personal uh, handwriting analysis. And often at the end, they're like, well, what do you see for me? And I'm like, okay, I don't really, I can't really give you that kind of information. That's not where I go. But I can tell you, you know, if you change this, you're going to see a change in your life. But I can't really tell you how, you know, is that relationship really going to get back together? That's going to be up to you and whether or not you're prepared to put the work in. Now, uh, let's get into my handwriting mini analysis. <laughs> sure. And then we can maybe talk about any ways we can change our handwriting. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That sounds okay. great. All right. You're ready for this cat. Yes. And feel free to say anything, even if you say, oh, you're a serial killer or, oh, you're a terrible <laughs> person. I can take it. It's fine. Uh, oh, wonderful. Thank you. Um, it's funny. I was doing another podcast and the host had said something very similar. So I, I, I told her what I saw and she was just like, you would not believe this, but that's the one thing I don't share with my listeners. So she like edited it out because it's like, that's actually, I don't want that out there. Um, but but I promise nothing in yours is going to be quite that crazy. I think it'll be just fine. So when I first get a handwriting sample, the first thing I do is I always want to pay attention to what is it that pops out at me? What is it that is really not considered what, you know, 80% of the population would do? And so whatever it is that jumps out at me kind of pops off the paper saying, look at me, I always take note of. And for you, when I received your handwriting sample, there was three different things that popped up off the page saying, look at me. Now, the first one is the way that you have your left-hand margin. Here we go again. We're going to talk about the left-hand margin. Because the page that you gave me, of course, is a blank page. There is no margin. There is no red line there. So you get to create any margin that you want. And it's very telling what you decide to do with that because it is totally something people do not focus on. And a lot of the time, they don't even know that they've done it until I point it out. So do you have your sample in front of you, Kat? I have it. Okay. So what you can see with your left-hand margin, Kat, is that it has a concave left margin. and. What that means is that instead of going straight down your page where each line lines up on the left-hand margin, exactly underneath the previous line, yours starts in one place and then the lines subsequent kind of move away from the left-hand margin until you reach a certain point and then they start coming back so that you come back towards the left-hand margin. So it looks, there's, it's a concave shape that we have. It gets wider in the middle and then comes narrower again. And that's very distinctive. What that tells me is that you start new things with great enthusiasm. Then you might start to second guess yourself. You might feel the need for caution and you're going to pull back. And then you'll get enthusiastic again. So from a business perspective, if I saw this, I would know where you really need support is after you've started that project you're going to need help in the middle to get you through it so that you can actually complete it. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, that enthusiasm that you have for starting projects, it's also going to be tied in with your spontaneous nature. And that's really indicated by the fact that you wrote, like, basically there is no bottom margin. You wrote right to the end of the page <laughs> and then you flipped it over. 
And that really does show, again, you have a very spontaneous nature, enthusiastic, and you are not going to be one who plans every detail of an outing out to the nth degree. You're going to be a lot more spontaneous. I can see that. I mean, sometimes I do plan, but maybe not everything. Yeah. So there's a difference here too between, of course, you're going to plan some things, right? You have to. That's just the way the world goes. But if somebody says, hey, what are you doing in two hours? You're going to be game. If you have the time, you'll say, yeah, sure, let's do it. Okay, yeah, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the spontaneous where, you know, there are some people, it's like they have their day planners and the day will go as the day is planned. And if somebody says, let's go do this, you cannot deviate. They have to say, no, can we schedule it in for, you know, tomorrow or next week? And so that's what that bottom margin shows us. So... Now, the other thing, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, where I said your D was very interesting. Your lowercase D has a very specific tilt to it. And we can see where sometimes it just seems to kind of fall over a little bit. It's, it's a little bit more slanted to the right than the rest of your letters. Um, it's very pronounced in your word did, where the first D has a much more of a slant to the right than that second D. And in disappeared, that first D, quite wild, over to the right. Who knew, hey, that Ds could be so exciting? But that D is. That D is actually called a manic D or a manic D. And it's kind of an odd term for it. um, But it came to have that name because it's commonly found in the prison population. And... Now, just because it's commonly found in the prison population does not mean you're a criminal. Uh, I'm just going to say that right now. Does not mean you are a criminal cat. That's not what I'm saying. But it does show that emotions rule. So you are not somebody to suppress your emotions. That D is like a little volcano of emotions. And when I see that in your writing, I know that you're not a criminal. That's you're not going to go out and kill anybody. But I would ask you, how are your hormones? Do you find you're a little emotional these days? Well, (laughs) I do have PCOS and PMS is quite an adventure. Ah, yes, that would explain that D for sure. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, and that's exactly it. It would be like life is a little bit spicy around you. Interesting. Thank you for that. Um, Let's see here. Now, I did say that there was three things about your writing that really stood out. And the third we've already kind of touched on. It's that pressure. You really do write with a lot of pressure. It is that you are pushing your pen into the paper and you are leaving your mark. So again, that just means you're not one to chill and relax. You're going to have energy to spare. Um, And it's a sign that you have a magnetic personality. You can draw people to you. You do have extra reserves of energy. So if there's an obstacle or, you know, you need to try to finish something, but you've already been going hard, you can pull up extra reserves of energy and you can get things completed. I think, you know, your motto might be something along the lines of, uh, you know, life is for the living and you're going to seize it. Interesting. So... Basically, um, I have propensity to commit crimes, and I'm going to seize the day. Well, you might have a propensity to commit the crime when you're PMSing, when those hormones are raging. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I always tell my husband, I'm like, watch it. Not this time. Yeah, exactly. Hide the knives. (laughs) Yeah, that's what that D would show you. So, yep, that's, but, and you'll have the energy to carry it out too. Oh, I'm sure I would. I tell my husband all the time. I'm like, look, you don't want to mess with me around my period. Mm -hmm, That's right. And then afterwards, like your margin, your left hand margin shows you might kind of second guess yourself. (laughs) Was that really the right thing to do? (laughs) Interesting. So those are the things that really stood out about your handwriting. Probably no surprises to you. I did not know that I wrote really um, with a lot of pressure. I did not know that. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if you went to your original sample, if you ran your fingers over the back, it would feel like Braille. 
you can actually feel, at least on my sample, it really shows the imprint of them. You'll be able to feel the writing. Whereas a lot of people, not a lot of people, but the majority of people don't actually leave that imprint on the back. So you did have me write some lies in the sample. Were you able to? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yours is very interesting because you do have a lot of different styles of writing. And again, it comes back to that emotional, you know, you, you're not one to, um, you're not one to pretend. Nobody's ever going to say, Kat, she is cold. You never know what she's thinking. Your lines will bounce up and down. Some go on an uphill slant, some go down. Even within it, it's very variable and certain words will pop up showing that you're emotionally triggered by that word and some will drop down. You also very kindly put in some lines of cursive as well. So it's made for an interesting job to try to spot the lie. And knowing that I only get 60% right, I'm going to give it my best try, but I'm not sure where we're going to end up with this cat. Okay. Okay. So the one spot that I thought, you know what, it's kind of odd because most of it actually stays on the line. And for you, that's really odd <laughs> when I actually put my, your baseline in um, and that I just start at the first letter and I match it up to the last letter of a set of a line, draw the line underneath it. When I do that, you actually only have one line that pretty much stays on the level. You have one letter that pops up, but the rest of it pretty much stays on the level, which was fairly unusual. So that line is when you say, when I burned a steak. So I would ask you, when you entered that cooking competition or for that teacher, is it really, is she really embarrassed about you burning a steak? No, she's embarrassed that I burned uh, instant pasta. (laughs) Oh, oh no. (laughs) That is an accomplishment. Now tell me, how did you get into a country or a county-wide cooking competition and then burned your pasta? Well, she told us we can go to the fair for free mm-hmm. if we just enter the cooking competition. So we just got one of those instant things where you just open the package and dump everything in, put some milk and water. And <laughs> yes. And of course, she was mortified. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's awesome. That is such a great story. So who does the cooking in your house right now? My husband, of course. (laughs) There you go. All right. So I did successfully spot a lie that you, in fact, it wasn't about burning a steak. It was about burning some instant pasta. Um, And that's funny because it was the only line that stayed true to the baseline, except for the, except for one letter that jumped up. That's it. Mm -hmm. Did you put a second lie in? No, not in that one. Oh, and the the whole thing? Yeah. Oh, there is another one. Like in the second paragraph, you have one. Yes. Okay. Because based on that same idea where you're following your baseline, it's when you put in here um, about the third world, that line where you say the third world, it's pretty straight going downhill. So I feel like it's either... Um, the third world, the class wasn't actually about the third world or the books weren't about the Everglades, but right in there, there's something wacky going on. Okay. This one. No. All right. What was it then? It was the one bef- the line right before about the dark hair. The curly you- hair. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's really funny because actually that is the one spot when I saw the dark curly, it's like actually the dark drops way below the line. I'm like, that's actually a little bit unusual for you. Cause usually you go above and uh, and then I just thought, okay, well, I don't actually know why I decided not. To. Oh, because I was so sure about the burned steak that I thought, nope, I'm going to go with the one that stays even keel. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really funny that I second-guessed myself. <laughs> it happens. That one, I, I purposely was like, I have to make this look a certain way so that it won't look like like the other one that I did, the other lie. <laughs> oh, that is sneaky. <laughs> and you were successful. 
you did successfully deceive me because I did not spot that one. Well done. <laughs> okay, so looking at my horrible writing mm-hmm. and everybody else's that has horrible writing, mm-hmm. how can we kind of fix our handwriting and maybe maybe that can in turn fix some areas of ourselves that we'd like to tweak? Yeah, for sure. So first off, it's not horrible handwriting. You can just drop that whole idea. I can very easily read it. You clearly communicate. And that is the purpose of handwriting. So it's not terrible handwriting. You're also letting me know that it is you and nobody else who wrote this, which again is another purpose of handwriting. It says that this is me. That's why handwritten notes are so special when you get them. It's like, you know, that person put their energy onto paper and they're, they're leaving their mark. So you've done that as well. So definitely you do not have terrible handwriting. So first off, if everybody could just drop that idea, that would be awesome start. It's handwriting shame and it's no better than any other kind of shame that you might hold on to. Okay. Now moving past that rant. (laughs) There are certainly things that we can do to change something that perhaps we don't like about ourselves. And that's just basic biofeedback. If you think of when you're stressed and your heart rate accelerates and your breathing accelerates and you might get flushed and you start to sweat, those are all automatic responses that your brain cues, right? It says we're stressed and so it puts your body into that response right away. Now, if you consciously start to take deeper breaths, slow your breathing, and focus your thoughts, you actually are using what's called biofeedback, and you're communicating to your brain that, nope, we're not going to be stressed right now. And then your brain says, oh, okay, we're not going to be stressed, and so it shuts down that response, and then you can move into, you know, thinking again. In that same way, we can use biofeedback in our handwriting. So if there's a particular trait that you don't like, you can change it in your handwriting. Um, A really classic one is you were talking about self-confidence. And for self-confidence, one of the best ways to inspire it in yourself, if you're feeling less confident than you might really want to be, is through the use of your T. So a lowercase T simply has the stem, and then it has the crossbar. And if you just want to increase that feeling of self-confidence, all you want to do is you're going to, when you cross your T, you're going to make sure you do your stem, lift the pen from your paper. You're going to do a T bar that is in the top third of your T stem, and you're going to make it a little bit longer. Try to carry it over the next letter. So just extend it a little bit and raise it so that it is higher than any of your middle zone letters. And it's like in the top top third of your T stem, which of course you wanna have extended above your, your, your middle zone letters as well. Does that make sense? So what do my T's say? Are they, I just closed it, but like, are they low? <laughs> so you have a mixture. You have some that are very low and then you have some that are a little taller. Overall, I would say you would benefit from raising them a little bit. Just boost them a little bit so that they clearly are above those the vowels, right? When I talk about the middle zone, I'm talking about your vowels, your A's, your O's, your U's. So just raise it so it's clearly above them. There's a space there and extend it. Just extend it a little further. So it tells me that your self-confidence is pretty good, but... I think some of it is also you're going to put on a show that you actually have more than you really feel. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Does interesting mean accurate or does interesting mean hmm, you have to try to square that away? I don't know. Like, I don't know about my self-confidence because I hear from different people that I'm either extremely confident, I need to tone it down or from other people that I'm extremely shy, I need to like talked more. So I'm very Mm -hmm. confused. Mm, That would make sense because you have that variety even in your T's that probably depending on your circumstances, you're going to be one way and depending on another, you're going to be another. So for you, if you want to just start being consistent, do that. 
right? Know that you want to keep that T-bar higher and longer and be consistent with it. Then, you know, you're going to be showing up consistently in life as a self-confident person. So could you tell us about your podcast, The Most Unusual Tea Party? Mm, I would love to tell you about my podcast. Thank you for asking. It's what I do on the podcast is essentially I look at a person's letter T and we talk a little bit about it. So it's not the drinking of the tea, it's the letter T that we look at. And I just talk to people about what I see in their handwriting. So I basically decode their personality from the clues in their handwriting. And what's really fun is in season three, um, and just like with you, Kat, where I actually, I have no idea who these people are. I have never really had any conversation with them. I don't follow them on social media. I get their samples and then we do the podcast and uh, we get to know each other that way. And it's really interesting because you get to know people on a deep level really fast. Um, People are often just amazed at how much I can see in just their handwriting. And then we do a spot the lie, of course, where I try to get the deceptions that people give me. And in season three as well, we're identifying love languages. Mm. I did have a question before we go. Could you figure out my love language based on anything in my handwriting sample? Mm, You know what? I actually didn't really look at yours, but the one thing that I did notice is your eye dots, despite everything that goes on in your handwriting, which we both can say is um, there's a lot going on. It's very busy handwriting. Your eye dots are consistently in line with the stem. They're actually quite precisely placed. And typically... When I, when I saw that, my first thought was acts of service, because typically that precise eye dot is going to mean that. Uh, I didn't actually really look at your handwriting much deeper than that as far as the love language goes. No, you're right. You're, you're perfectly right. You, Yay. You got it. Oh, <laughs> oh good. <laughs> oh, awesome. I wasn't sure if you'd actually taken the test. So that's interesting. Yeah, that, that eye dot above the stem is one of the best predictors for acts of service. Um, If you don't show, there's a couple other signs that as long as you're not showing those signs, it's probably going to be acts of service. So cool. Thank you. So are there any other ways that people can work with you? And you said something about a promotion you were offering. Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody wants to work with me, there are a couple of different options and you can find them on my website, which is just handwritingpi.ca. Um, You can go on there and we can do what I call a aha experience, which is essentially like having the podcast experience, but more in depth, um, where I'm going to do an analysis of your handwriting. And then we talk about it. And then that way you can ask questions and we can really delve into what your handwriting is and what you might want to change about it. If businesses want to work with me, then I'd encourage them just to contact me directly. Um, I do have, you know, things like risk assessments, that's a big part of what I can do as well is just to spot to see is this person a a threat? Is there any underlying psychosis here that might be a problem if you have a business that you need to be very um, worried about risk? And again, that you can find on my website, or you can send me an email at handwritingpi at gmail.com. And your website is handwritingpi.ca because you're in Canada. And your your Instagram is handwriting underscore pi. Exactly. You got it. And also for your listeners, Kat, if they do want to book one of my services, they can use the coupon code when they go to checkout called cursive is cool. All one word. Cursive is cool. And then you do receive 30% off. Awesome. So thank you so much for being with us here today. And this is a super interesting podcast and I loved every minute of it. And now I want to like learn everything I can about handwriting. (laughs) Indeed. It's a, it's fascinating. And what I was actually just talking to uh, Sheila Lowe, who's the president of the American Handwriting Analysis Foundation. And um, I was just talking to her because I needed help with the sample because I'm like, I don't know what to make of this. And, you know, it's like, that's one of the most beautiful things about it is even after doing it for, you know, 
as long as I have been doing it, there's still something new to learn. There's always something new to learn and explore. So it's a fascinating, fascinating area. And I wish you well in your exploration of it. And thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast. Leave me a voicemail question or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, katkatibi.com. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.